Hello, my name is Jamie Shern Cohen, and I will be having a conversation with Sydney Ballou for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It is December 1st, 2019, and this is being recorded at the CUNY Grad Center in the CLAG's office, the Center for Lesbian. No used to be the Center for Lesbian and Gay Studies, now is the Center for LGBTQ Studies. Um, so, hi Sid, welcome. Hello. Um, can I ask you to just introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Sydney Ballou. I am a writer, I am a producer, I am a boxer, I am a voguer. I do lots of lots of things. And um, I'm an adopted New Yorker, so I'm happy to be here. Mm, adopted New Yorker. Um, I should say that we know each other through CLAGS, um, me being a board member, and you, your position is? I'm the coordinator of events and programming at CLAGS. Great. Um, so you're an adopted New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain yourself? <laughs> I know, that's a little... That was a new one. I threw that in there. I thought that was cute. <laughs> Well, um, I mean, I'm not originally from New York, uh, but I love living here, <laughs> and I feel like, I don't know, I feel a kind of kinship to the city, so I guess there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you end up here? Oh, um, kind of a roundabout way, I guess we can kind of go into that. Uh, I'm originally from a small suburb of Chicago called Morton Grove in Illinois. It's about 20 minutes from the city of Chicago. Um, I grew up there and I did my undergrad in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania. And I lived in Europe for about five years. And uh, right before, let's see, around the time I wanted to transition, um, I was living in London. And I really wanted to have an easier sort of like access to transitioning as far as like medical and like social transitioning and so on. Um, So I moved to New York and um, I feel like there's a longer story through all those (laughs) trajectories, but that's kind of how I landed here in the end. Um, But yeah, can unpack the rest of that (laughs) if you like. So when did you move here? So I actually, the first time I moved to New York to live uh, was 2017. Um, that was like February of 2017. And I was living here for a year before starting a PhD program at UPenn, which um, it was like I was waiting for to hear back from programs. And so um, I figured out oh, I'll be in New York for a year, can access resources, etc. And then I'll go to Philly to do my studies, and then I knew I would eventually come back to New York since the research I was doing um, involved New York. Um, But yeah, I ended up leaving that PhD program last year, so that was in like August 2018, and then I moved back to New York for good. So I've kind of like officially been here sort of to stay for about a year now. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about the research you're doing or experience at UPenn? Sure. So, I mean, I feel like that all, <laughs> it's like we're starting Something. with the, the, the first, the end part and then telling the story <laughs> backwards. But, 
Um, so yeah, before then, um, when I was living in Europe, um, I first lived in Berlin for about two and a half years. Um, and then I was in Paris for a year and then London for a year. Um, and for Paris and London, I was doing a master's program, uh, this urban policy program, uh, which was one year at Sciences Po, which is like a very elite French, um, institution and then the second year was at the London School of Economics and um, so it was like one year in French the second year in English and um, throughout that trajectory like Berlin Paris and London I got involved in the ballroom scene in Europe mm. so uh, when I live I originally was living in Berlin because uh, I had gotten a fellowship uh, the DAAD which is like the German academic exchange service I think is what they call it in English it's like a very long German word <laughs> name of course in German but um, I mean and even before then I feel like I don't know I almost feel like I should start from you know even earlier if you like because uh, uh, basically yeah I don't know I, I kind of want to flip it because so I started in Chicago right like in the suburbs there and um, I was a really big Francophile. I, like, loved studying French culture, French history. I think, like, I was really into studying, I think, like, the French Revolution. I think it's just so interesting. There's so many dates and facts and things. Um, and I think when I took uh, that language class, like, we had a choice at my middle school of, like, they had just added French as a language that you could take. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Like, that's different everyone's taking Spanish because they think it'll be useful and of course like no one ever gets past like year one mm -hmm. <laughs> hola gracias and you're like okay did all that for <laughs> hopefully that's working out for you um but yeah so anyway I took tr I took French um and I really liked it and I realized oh cool like <laughs> to do well in this class you just have to watch like a lot of tv and movies and in our house growing up like we had rules around watching TV. It was like you could only watch TV on the weekends because my parents really wanted us to like focus on our studies. And um, but I feel like I felt I felt like I found a loophole <laughs> through studying a language. Just like oh right, watching this movie on a weeknight counts as homework. So anyway, um, and I also found out I was good at it. And I think there's something nice with language where you kind of lose yourself you become someone else and I, even in our like French class I think we we had French names or whatever so you could like choose a name and like in the class like that's your name um I don't know it's like weird when I look back at these things I'm like huh are these like little trans beginnings or you know something whatever like cause you know it's like those people who like transition through cosplay or something you know it's like okay is this an early sign but Anyway, um, I really liked it. And also in high school, I had a really amazing French teacher, this guy, Bernard Lewis. Bernie Lewis, he's amazing, changed my life. Um, he was really good at it. And he was really supportive um, I, as well. And I mean, it's funny because like later I realized he was gay. Like mm -hmm. I never thought about that at the time. But um, and he wasn't like out out like he was like semi out um, in a way. And, you know, it's crazy to think it's not even that long ago but like these things were still kind of a big deal mm -hmm. um but yeah so he was like my little gay uh shady angel because he also had this very like 
I don't know. He was very, like, a very queeny. <laughs> when I look back, it's like, again, when you're, like, 15, you don't, like, notice these things. <laughs> you're just like, oh, that person's very snippy. But, <laughs> but he was also, yeah, super supportive of me. And also my European history teacher had a really great uh, European history AP teacher, um, Kirsten Husband. She was also really supportive. And so anyway, uh, long story short, I knew I when I was applying to schools, I really wanted to study abroad. I knew I wanted to do at least one full year in France and um, or a francophone country. So when I when I was looking at schools, I kind of like influenced what I was looking at, and um, I really hated growing up in the Midwest. Like uh, I was like dying to get out of Chicago and. The school I went to was a good school, um, Maine East High School, which is in Park Ridge, Illinois. Um, it's like our claims to fame where like Hillary Clinton and like Harrison Ford and the Breakfast Club, parts of the Breakfast Club are shot there, which is just, like what people would always say. And of course, you know, one day they'll say, oh, Sydney Blue went here as well. Um, but yeah, like if you went got into a good school there it was considered either northwestern or the university of chicago like mm. nobody was trying to go to any of the coasts and for me i was just dying to get out and it it wasn't even like a queer or trans thing i was like these people are whack as fuck and this is so tired and the exciting places are happening somewhere else and I need to be there where the action is. And back then, I really wanted to be a filmmaker. Like, in my mind, I knew I wanted to be a producer or, like, I don't even know if I thought about a writer or director, but definitely film. Um, and so uh, I was looking at places, like, um, that were on the coast, and um, I had a teacher who recommended that I check out Penn, um, so when, um, I did a, like a, what do you call it? Like a site visit or like tour with my mom, mm -hmm. um, because my older sister was doing a, some program at Cornell in New York. And so we drove out to the East coast to check out schools. And when I checked out Penn, I really fell in love with it. I thought, oh, you know, this is exactly what I want. It's like a mix of like this urban campus and this, you know, other, um, but it feels like a very campusy vibe, and also it's an Ivy League school, and um, they did this. You could take a full year and go abroad. So when I got into Penn, um, I knew I was like, okay, third year, I'm definitely going to go to Paris, like or somewhere. And I had a really great French teacher again, this woman Melanie Perron, and she she really emphasized going to the school Sciences Po, and she was like okay, this is the golden ticket. If you ever want to work in France or, you know, whatever. Um, and, like, for people who don't know, Sciences Po, it's a very prestigious, it's like the Harvard of France, and it's really difficult to get into for French students. It's ridiculous, like, the scrutiny, like, they do these year-long preparation exams like even before trying to get in it's like very very difficult and it's where like all the famous and important people so you know it's like french presidents grandkids and stuff like that they all go there so i got it like i did the program because penn had a uh, an agreement with them and it was like the worst year of my life <laughs> like up until that point like i was having a great time at penn you know i was like 
I don't know. Penn was very interesting because it's like I worked hard. There was this whole, uh, what do you call it, like an ethos around the college culture, which is work hard, play hard. And mm. it it's because Wharton, the business school, like heavily influenced like every part of mm. campus life. So because that was sort of like Penn's claim to fame. Like it's in many ways, Penn is like this like forgotten Ivy. Like people remember Harvard and Yale. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is it a state school? I don't know. And then, you know, it's like this. people always confuse it with Penn State. It's like this whole, uh, creates these complexes. But, yeah, so um, when I was there, I mean, I was, like, working hard. But, you know, I was also, like, kind of goofing off. You know, it's, it's a lot of smart kids, too. So, you know, it's like, what is an A? I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, but the thing, I, I was studying political science at the time. And... Um, yeah, and I did this third year, and it was just, like, a huge wave of, like, you know, just, like, getting a kick in the pants to be an adult, because mm. uh, it's, like, I had to find my own apartment, like, do all this stuff, basically live in a big city, right? Like, if you could imagine, like, some young person moving to New York for the first time, I mean, it's like that, except with French people, which is even more intense, you know? <laughs> I mean, like... Obviously, you know, people know New Yorkers are not, like, they're Americans, but, like, a very particular type, and I feel like Parisians are the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, like, the best of times, the worst of times. I had, a, you know, I had a lot of first experiences, and, uh, yeah, and the, and the classes were just, like, incredibly grueling, mm-hmm. and it was, like, also all in French. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which is a lot. I mean, my French is really good, and my French is really good then, too, but still, like, there were... It was rough for international students. Um, but while I was there, the cool thing was that I went to Berlin and I loved it and I fell in love. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, why did I waste all this time learning French? <laughs> I could have learned German. But, you know, all the Ger- all the kids who were into German in high school were weird, though. Like, <laughs> you know, they were either way too into Nazis or, you know, like, there were very few sort of normal people. But, um, but yeah, so when I went to Berlin, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is everything I thought Paris was going to be, but it's not, which is, like, cheap and fun and full of amazing house music. You know, just everything. So when I finished up the year, I went back to Penn, did my last year. And I had taken this, like, German class, or this class that was in the German department, and it was, like, a class on Marx, and I was really cool with the professor, uh, this guy, Eric, oh my god, I'm like blanking on his name. He actually, it's interesting, Eric Jarosinski, he's amazing. He actually like runs this incredible Twitter account called Nine. Um, it's really great. It's interesting because he like totally left academia and like rebuilt himself and is really killing it. But um, so yeah, he was incredibly supportive of me and um, he was like, yeah, you know, you could definitely get back, you could get back there and you should apply for a fellowship. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so he had told me about the DAD fellowship. He told me about like, there's a German chancellor one. There's like several of these. Um, of course the really famous one is, um, I forget the one that for going abroad. It's like one where you can go anywhere. Fulbright? Yeah. Fulbright, you know, all of these. Yeah. And so I ended up getting the DAD one. And he also stressed to me, he's like, oh, you know, you're into uh, public studying public policy. You know, you can... Um, and also I was really into eco-justice and environmental justice um, because I had taken, you know, one of these, like, 
do you call it, like requirement courses. There's like one of those classes, you know, where it's like for humanities people who don't really want to do science. Right. <laughs> and like at Penn, that was like, I'm trying to remember, it was like in the physics department and it was something like, I can't remember. It was about climate change and stuff, right? But I loved it, and I was surprised. And when I took that class, I remember thinking, like, and that this that was maybe like sophomore year or something. But I was like, you know, I wonder who on Capitol Hill like understands these complexities. This is huge, and it's important. And um, and I think I was trying to think very strategically at the time of like well okay maybe I'll make this my niche like Mm. and mind you this is all like 2007 to like 2011 Mm. so you know Obama was just elected and you know it was like such a huge huge thing and you know and I grew up in Illinois so it was it was really big to be part of that moment like I mean even (laughs) like after I graduated um, from high school, and I graduated also in the top, it was like top 1% of our graduating class, uh, which at Maine East, it was like this big deal because they had this thing called Maine Scholars, and mm. they had gotten rid of the whole valedictorian thing because they realized like it was too, you know, you're within these ridiculous 0.00, mm-hmm. 0% percentage points, and um so, I mean, that was a big deal for me to get that because I, pro- I think I was probably the first black person to do that. And, um, and I, I think I was like number four or something. But um, what was really fun is like me, a good friend of mine, Tyler Wilsey, and our friend Sylvia Prokopovich, who ended up doing the speech. We, during this whole Obama stuff, we got in a van. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I asked my mom because like Obama was going to announce his running mate as Joe Biden mm-hmm. in Springfield. And so we, I remember we were all so excited. We we're like, oh man, we should do something. You know, we should go down there. And I remember I asked my mom if we could like borrow the minivan. And she was like, she was like so against it, which sucked. So we were like, oh, let's, you know, we asked Sylvia's parents. And it was interesting because Sylvia, she's like Polish American and, you know, her and her family was like very Reagan Republicans. There's a whole thing with like Polish immigrants and Reagan, whatever. Um, and but they understood the historic moment, okay, mm. and they let us borrow their minivan, thank God. And so we loaded up the van, and also mind you, my friend Tyler was this like huge pothead, like major wake and bake. And so it was great because we like hotboxed the car and drove down from Chicago to Springfield. And we like missed the exit, of course, <laughs> and then like and then all these cornfields. And then, like, went down to Springfield, you know, to see the moment. I just remember just being super high and just enjoying this, you know, the exuberation, you know. Mm -hmm. It was such a big thing, Mm -hmm. feeling like, okay, like, this, it's like JFK or something. It's such a big moment. And, um, but, yeah, sorry. So, just to give you context of, like, Mm -hmm. I was swept up in the Obama fear. Yeah, Yeah, that was a big thing. And, And I remember in college, like... You know, just being really interested in public policy for that reason. I started reading the New York Times for the first time and just, you know, being so geared towards that. And um, and even uh, I remember, like, I think it was after, yeah, sophomore year, like 2009, I ended up getting this internship through the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. So basically, you know, like in Congress, there's all these different caucuses for different issues. There's all these racial ones. And 
So for all the black members of Congress who generally vote together on certain issues, they have this like little summer internship program. So because there's so few minorities and particularly black students on the Hill, especially since none of those internships are paid. So what they do is they, um, you know, have this foundation that will give students um, like a stipend, free housing. There's a little bit of like grooming or, you know, whatever this sort of teaching you how to network and all this kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, I ended up doing that program before I went abroad Mm -hmm. and um, it was interesting. (laughs) for a variety of reasons. Um, one of which was like I when I had applied uh, for the program, I think they so I originally wanted to work for my congressman in Philly with, mm-hmm. which was my school address who was Shaka Fatah. Um, but my application accidentally got sent to the Illinois office mm-hmm. and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, do you remember this? What happened when sure. Obama was elected? Okay, if I say Rod Blagojevich, would that ring? Okay, so basically, <laughs> the scandal at the time was—I know it was great. The scandal at the time was that, like, so as per usual in Illinois, usually a governor will end up in handcuffs by the end of his term. Like that had happened consistently, I think, mm-hmm. for the past like four years. So the FBI had been like following the governor or like recording him, Rod Bogoyevich, at the time because when Obama was elected, he, the governor was trying to sell, you know, get a, get a bribe from somebody to like fill the seat because the governor mm-hmm. gets to choose whoever. So mm-hmm. the guy who ended up getting the gig was this man named Roland W. Burris, who was very. My God, like he had like a whole mausoleum already built with all of his grand accomplishments and so on. And, you know, he was very much a character. But so basically my application got sent to his office and I got in the program and uh, I was like really worried because I was like, damn, I really want to do all this public policy stuff. But like this guy's a fucking crook, you know, (laughs) So, or or I was just unsure. Okay. Um, so it was funny because I like, had, like, um, like asked around, like I had this, you know, one, uh, political science professor. I took, uh, this guy who is also, oof, you know, uh, John Diulio, who's like a big name at Penn. His claim to fame was he like worked in the Bush administration and was the, like, but left, you know, before that whole thing kind of went that way. But um, just asking around for advice of like, should I take this? Mm-hmm. This is an internship in the Senate, which is huge. Uh, very few people get that. I would be the only person in this program interning in the Senate, which is a big deal. So, um, and everybody said, you know, go for it. This is great. Don't worry about it. Um, and it ended up being an amazing summer. Can I say like we had, <laughs> I, I will probably develop that and pitch that as a show um, <laughs> because it was very interesting um, being in that office. There was, it was just like very much a motley crew of folks and um, it was really cool. Like we had the best intern coordinator and I don't know, it just, it was just so much fun. And again, so exciting. This is like 2009. So everyone was swept up in Obama fever. We're all so optimistic about government, about what you can do for mm-hmm. the world. And um, I feel like in our cohort, and there were maybe like 40 students in this program, we were all um, staying in dorms on GW's campus in Foggy Bottom. And um, for me, I think I had come out maybe like 
two, three years prior. Like, I definitely came out my freshman year of college as a lesbian then. Um, So I was kind of, like, really starting to, like, blossom into my sort of, like, queer, queer identity and, you know, going to clubs in D.C. and stuff and just feeling, like, cool, I can be out and, like, really um, enjoy who I am and that sort of thing. And, I mean, with the program... I'm still really good friends, like, one of my good friends, Dorothy, who's amazing. But the program was interesting of, like, definitely clashing with, like, some of the students because you had some... A lot of people were from the South, Mm -hmm. um, so there's, like, a certain, like, I think way of being and thinking in the world. But still, it was, like, you know, it was nice to be sort of in this group of black students who are just like we're all excited about this moment and mm. I feel like everybody's trying to one up each other of like who got to meet Obama at whatever function you went to so that was like a thing but yeah. um but yeah so I also got a chance to like look at like environmental policy while I was doing that and I mean it was also really historic because it's like I remember like Sotomayor was um like, they had those, what do we call it, not debates, but the hearings mm-hmm. around that. And that was, you know, being able to witness stuff like that. And also, um, healthcare, the healthcare debate had just started. And that was, like, a huge, huge thing that summer. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, fun. You know, it's like, okay, I'm part of this historic moment. I get to see, you know, get a front row seat in a very sort of random way with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it was off to Paris for the year. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so, you know, and then that led to the Berlin thing. And then basically after I, um, what was it? I got the Berlin Fellowship, the DAD. Um, in between that time, I, so it's like I graduated in 2011 and then I was in the Bay Area for a short period. Mm-hmm. My mom had moved to the Bay Area by that time okay. um, because, my parents got were finally divorced, I think, like, sometime in college. Um, and my mom have, had moved to the Bay. Uh, she, you know, said she wanted to start over, all this stuff. Um, so I got this internship at this place called the Greenlining Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, they're located in Oakland now, but at the time they were in Berkeley. And... They advocated for, like, low-income minority individuals um, and did a variety of public policy work. It's it was an, an, or it's a non-profit that's based out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to work with their, like, energy expert. And it was really cool because I um, really got a front-row seat into seeing how policy is made. And I was, again, in this, like, diverse cohort of younger people or, mm-hmm. like, I don't think anyone was really... Yeah, there were some, like, early professionals, but, like, a lot of people were in, like, law school or uh, grad school or something. Um, And that was, like, also a really big sort of eye-opening moment because we had a lot of, like, site visits, like, with their project partners. And, you know, we went to the Central Valley and, like, met with, like, farmers and learned about, like, um, you know, issues around, like, migrant rights and those sorts of things. And then, you know, we had a site visit in L.A. and got to see sort of, like, how politics plays out there. And um, and then in the Bay Area itself, which was really cool. And that was, like, a really big, I feel like, a formational moment for mm. me of, like, really looking at how to enact social and eco-justice. Because mm. you actually saw it, you know, there were, like... 
some organizations we met with who were doing really direct service type of work um, where they're like really on the ground. And then you had some where it's like, you know, these healthcare corporations essentially like Blue Shield or something. And mm-hmm. um, But you could see how like this organization had to maneuver in this particular political ecosphere in order to really serve like the people who are most underserved. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, that was like a really big thing to get that uh, before going to Berlin mm. where I was going to be looking at like environmental policy because like the way mm. that I had written my application I um, I was really into I know this is going to sound so crazy but I was like super into utilities <laughs> like there's like an alternative version of myself utility. that yeah that works for like PG&E in <laughs> California <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah and it was because like you know when you think about Eco justice and these policies, like these are the people who are making those decisions. You know, it's like we had so many meetings with, you know, like yeah, PG&E or um, any of the other big utilities companies. And I remember I was working with their smart grids team, so like looking at this is like the early days of smart grids. I feel like uh, you know just thinking about like energy consumption and energy efficiency and a lot of what like green lining would do with a lot of that was they were looking at, okay, how do we reach minorities? Because California is a majority minority state. So you, you know, oftentimes companies, they like, obviously they're run by white people, mainly white men, um, cis white men who are not at all thinking about anybody who's not them. So um, a lot of their work was like, okay, are you speaking to our communities? And like, it makes economic sense for you to do that. Um, and it's just like obvious, like this is your constituency. So, um, yeah, I, I was like really, really into that kind of work. And so, like, I was uh, looking at that, like the way I had written my application. I was curious about like the way energy policy functioned in Germany, and I was trying to do this like comparative study between Germany, the UK, and the US mm. um, because. I know, and again, this is going to sound really crazy, but because I'm doing like totally different work, but um, I was actually looking at how, oh my God, the liberalization of energy markets in these three places, um, because in Germany, it had been seen as really successful, like energy prices had gone down and like in the UK, uh, maybe like not as much. And in the US, there were certain um, places where they were looking at doing that Mm. and um, to me, like, even when I was on the Hill, I was looking at some of those questions because if, you know, like, energy, it's a big cost to people. And I think when you're low income, you know, I forget, like, what it's called, but basically it's, you know, $20 to you might not be a lot, but to somebody who is really, um, you know, not making a lot of money, it could mean a, a huge, huge difference. And so when I was like looking at these policies and things, I was kind of like trying to look for best practices that could be applied hmm. in the U.S. and specifically to the benefit of like low income and like minority people. So I, yeah, I had seen myself going to Berlin of like, okay, (laughs) I'm like interested in doing this kind of work. And, 
you know, this could be my niche of like policy expertise. And also there's a whole world of like transatlantic um, sort of like policy exchange, Mm -hmm. people who work in that realm of either diplomacy or business or whatever. And so I was like trying to fashion myself in that kind of way. Mm Um, so yeah, so the first year of the fellowship, it was at the Free University of Berlin, which is in Dahlem in the, what used to be the American sector. And I was working or like, I was taking like some master's classes and then like supposed to be writing at the same time. And that (laughs) was like harder than it sounds. I think like the school system in Germany is very different. It's very hands off. Um, it's very ironically loosey-goosey where it's like, okay, you develop your thesis and whatever and just like, I feel like the the way we do school in the U.S. is very structured, right? It's like, you know, you're constantly meeting with people and, and this, that, and the other, whereas like in Berlin, it was definitely like, you know, you need to be initiating everything, mm-hmm. um, which could be kind of frustrating and a little difficult at times and... Um, but even before I went to Berlin, the big thing was I had this f- German friend uh, when I studied in Paris. Her name is Kat. She's amazing. She was such a fun person. And <laughs> she, I remember when we were in Paris and all the international students were all so miserable. She was the only person who was having a good time. And I remember, I distinctly remember, uh, Kat, and she, she had studied, I think, at like King's College. So she like studied in the UK um, and she was studying abroad in Paris. And mm-hmm. She was on the volleyball team, uh, and so she had all these French friends. Because I, I, and I remember, like, she had like French boyfriends. She, you know, she loved Paris. We were all so miserable. We'd meet up on the Rue Saint Guillaume, and you know, it's where all the French kids are like chain smoking like crazy, and you know, we're all freaking out. We all look like shit because we haven't like slept. <laughs> you know, Cat would kind of come around and be like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, cheers, all this crap." And so <laughs> I remember. I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe when I go to Berlin, I should do a sport or something <laughs> beyond school so I can, like, integrate. Right. Um, so um, I think I Googled around, and I found, uh, even before going, there's this group called Box Girls, and it was a boxing club that was founded by this amazing, super cool, queer Canadian woman, um, like Cameron, um, and I remember when I moved to Berlin, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this research stuff, but I have to get into this boxing thing mm. because I want to enjoy my time here and I don't yeah. want to make the same mistake twice. Mm-hmm. So, um, I really got into boxing mm. when I was there and there's like a whole little queer universe in Berlin around amateur boxing. Mm. Um, and yeah, I started going to the club and started making friends and I was like learning German at the same time um, so it was really nice I mean with boxing it's perfect for learning German honestly because it's repetitive mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know because people say the same thing right. multiple times and <laughs> they're gesturing at the same time so it's and and you know, what was nice is like you know a lot of Germans especially compared to like French people at the time they, a lot of people learn English and so mm-hmm. it was easy to kind of navigate and get around but um yeah, it was also, it was a great place for me to, like, have outside of my studies yeah. and obviously to, like, stay in shape. But, yeah, it was just, like, also it became this, like, social kind of world for me. And I had a lot of friends through that. And 
Um, and I ended up getting like so deep into it <laughs> that there was like a group of us um, where uh, Cameron had approached us. She's like, you know, you, you know, if you all want, um, the club could pay for you to get a trainer's license um, so you can teach. And, you know, it's a way to make like some side money and, um, you know, it'd be great to have more trainers. So there was this small group of us where we decided, like, sure, let's let's do this, and uh, we ended up doing this. It was so crazy. This um, what do you call it? Like it was a it was like a I think it was like a month long. I want to say it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. and we had to go to this place. I th- definitely in what was formerly East Berlin. And uh, take these classes um, that was taught by this guy named Aegon. He was very, like, everything you would imagine of, like, East German kind of creepster dude. But he was he was actually... And it was funny because, like, they all were, like, creepy looking, but they, like, had a heart of gold kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, so it was, like, us, this, like, kind of group of, like, young people with these, like, either old Turkish men or, like, old, you know, German dudes who have been teaching boxing for a while just needed this license and... Um, yeah, and so at the end of the program, there was a, both a written exam and a an oral exam. Mm-hmm. And the oral exam was, like, they gave you, like, so, like, East Germany used to be really good in boxing in, like, the 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, Cuba used to dominate, and it supposedly because of some East German coach who trained the Cuban mm-hmm. team because of the whole uh, communist, whatever, relationships, all that stuff. So... Um, yeah, so it's like there, and there's like a certain way of boxing in Germany, which is like slightly different. It's more, they're more of like a, an outside boxing, um, style. Whereas Mm. I think like the American style is more like inside, Mm. um, which is like more hooks and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I remember (laughs) I had to take this, (laughs) it's so crazy because we had to so like okay we had like a copy of the exam so <laughs> and my this is all in german okay mm-hmm. so like we we're all like you know obviously like cramming for this exam beforehand and then with the oral exam you had to they gave you they assigned everybody some move that you would teach in a class mm-hmm. and then you'd go in the ring um at this like sports facility and it was like Aegon and his like East German buddy, I forget the dude's name, you know, Helmut or something, and um, yeah, and then we had to, like, demonstrate this, again, all in German, mm. and it was, like, I think, like, the scariest moment of <laughs> my life, like, I was, like, <laughs> like, shitting bricks, but I did it, and I passed, and I, you know, did really well, and it was, like, I remember, like, after that moment, I was, like, I can fucking do anything, yeah. like, <laughs> like, nobody can ever tell me shit, <laughs> So I fucking nailed, uh, yeah, that shit in German, okay? Yeah. And I, I do, so I was like, you know, uh, had this certification to teach as a trainer. And mm-hmm. I used to give queer training boxing classes on Saturdays mm-hmm. at, um, it's like in Kreuzberg. I'm trying to remember. It's like the Max Schmeninghalle, I think. I don't know. It's on the... Yeah, in the Bergmann Kids, but mm. it's like this really nice sort of like boxing facility. So, mm. yeah, so I used to do that. Got Were you s- still in school at this time? So, I'm trying to remember because I was in Berlin for like two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So, the f- 
Oh, so after the first year, after my fellowship ended, I got another fellowship and I started working at this place called Ecologic Institute. Mm. And they are a, a an environmental think tank. And so they would get a lot of like contracts either from the EU or from um, the German government to do research on environmental policy topics. So I was a transatlantic fellow with them and mm. they were kind of like, I don't know, maybe like 40, 60 um, international German. And you had some people like working in German and some people working in English. So, you know, I was making pretty decent money. I mean, for Berlin, you know, you can sort of live like incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And I had like a legit job that wasn't like (laughs) precarious living, which I feel like a lot of people could do. You could kind of Mm -hmm. be an artist and do these odd jobs. But like... Yeah, that was my sort of like steady income, nine to five gig. And then um, outside of that, it was like boxing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, yeah, I got really into that. But then um, I also really got into the ballroom scene. And that mm-hmm. was kind of like very haphazard. I had this uh, very annoying rich bitch, uh, <laughs> like... West German, they're awful. Okay, there's a big difference between West Germans and East Germans. Mm. Okay, I I had very, <laughs> very good experience experiences with the they called them Aussies, the mm. Aussies and Vessies, because uh, mm. in boxing, so like I I was giving trainings at box girls, but I also really got into it for myself personally, and I started training in uh, at this one gym that was in this part of formerly East Berlin called Weissensee, um, which is like way up there. And it was all like East German um, or like East Berliners who were really so sweet, so down to earth. And because um, I had a friend, Christine, who used to train up there. And so like one day I like went with her because she really wanted to get some fights in and mm-hmm. I really wanted to get some fights in. And so I ended up going there. It was this gym called Blaugelb or like blue, yellow, which were mm-hmm. their colors. And um, and it was great. And that was like my little world of uh, it was really also hard. Like I spoke German by this point, but it was they speak with this particular dialect called mm-hmm. Berlinerisch and it's like it's like a very like working class kind of thing because in German there's what's called Hochdeutsch which is like high German and mm-hmm. it's like this almost like neutral German quote unquote even though it's like not but um, and then and that's like kind of what I feel like educated very mm-hmm. you know those sorts, sorts of people speak and then there's like Berlinerisch and so I had to like learn this other type mm. of German or at no. least like be able to understand people um, which was really you know obviously a huge experience and then um, you know and I became friends with everybody we used to have these like what they call a stomptish where you like on Fridays after training and I used to go like three days a week or sometimes four days a week um, Fridays were our you know after trainings we would all go for a beer and kind of hang out and there were these old guys who became like my surrogate like grand- German grandpas uh-huh. <laughs> so sweet yeah I know and really really great and you know I just love to like sit and listen to their stories and mm. they had so many you know of um, just so many interesting interesting things and um, it was so sweet one of the guys Pe- uh, Peter or Peta he he even gave me it was so interesting he had the story of um like when the wall first came down, P- 
people in Berlin, they used to go to the wall and chip out little pieces to sell because mm-hmm. oftentimes when tourists would come, they want a piece of the wall, right? So he used to like do this and I think there was some woman who saw him one day and she was trying to get a piece and he like chipped one out for her and it ended up in like an American newspaper. It was like in the NASA newsletter because mm-hmm. I think either she or her husband like worked for NASA and and so he like gave me a copy of it and he gave me a piece of the wall that he wow. like carved out himself. I know it's like one of those like things that like you know in case of a fire like the first thing I grab. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and I ended up having a f- one fight. Like I really wanted to fight, and it was great. And I I won, and it was it was so it was really great, and it was so sweet too. Cause like Peta, he he, they all had these like dad jokes, you know, and dad jokes in German. Some of them I could get, some of them I had like no idea. <laughs> and there was one, <laughs> I, I kid you not, it was about. I mean, it's hard to explain, but basically it was one about cookies and like, I guess in German, there's like this kind of cookie. Um, damn, I wish I could even explain it. I've seen it at Starbucks before and it every time I see it, I always think of him, but it's like, it's called an Americana and I think it's called that because it either, you can either get it with like white frosting or mm. black fr- or like chocolate yeah. frosting. <laughs> Like, like the symbol of America is uh-huh. that there's like white people and black people there. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. But all that said, I was super into boxing in Berlin. Um, but yeah, I got into the ballroom scene very haphazardly, and it was like I had this very like rich bitch West German, um, what you call it, non-binary pole dancing roommate. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they were a handful and mm-hmm. incredibly annoying in a variety of ways. Uh, there's like a story from hell that I'm going to do that involves going to Provence for the first time. <laughs> but um, but of course, the the silver lining of that was that one of my best friends from Berlin was somebody who was on the trip. And it was like where we really bonded. My really mm-hmm. good friend Sven. Um, but yeah, so Bella... Uh, who we all love to hate, and Sven used to call Hitler. He'd <laughs> be like, oh, is Hitler around? Because they were so goddamn demanding. <laughs> it's really good. It's just always funny. Be like, oh, okay, what did Hitler say this time? Um, so, yeah, so Bella, um, I remember once, back when we were actually friends, uh, they had mentioned, like, we were talking about Paris is Burning, mm-hmm. and you know, just laughing about it or quoting the movie. I can't even remember. And I remember they mentioned that uh, they they were like, oh, you know, you could take a Vulcan class here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it's the whitest place on earth. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? And sure enough, uh, there is this woman, uh, Georgina, who uh, is an Afro-German woman mm-hmm. who is a dancer and... In the world of, like, street dance, which is, like, a very sort of international thing, um, like, there's kind of, like, three capitals of dance, which is Tokyo, Paris, and New York. Mm. And this is where there are really big dance competitions, and so her story is that, I think, I forget, like, what her original style of dance was, if it was, like, 
hip hop or freestyle or whatever. Um, but she somehow got into voguing. So she came to New York at some point. Mm-hmm. And then this often happens for people. So they come to, you know, international people. So they yeah. save up their coins, the dancers. They come to New York during the summer, take a bunch of classes on 34th Street, like Broadway Dance Center, um, you know, just all those Gibney, whatever. Um, And oftentimes they would fall into the ballroom scene, whether it's somebody's giving a voguing class or I think even back then that uh, Vogue Nights was still going on, which is this big, um, this or weekly night that would happen on Monday nights at Esquilitas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was hosted by Luna Lewis and Jack Mizrahi. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the like clips of ballroom that you see on YouTube, nine times out of 10 from this particular era mm-hmm. of like early 2000s, it's most likely shot at, at, at Esquilitas at folk nights. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they often like kind of bump into the scene that way. And for a lot of people they get inspired and then they come back to their home country and they're like, I want to start a scene. And then mm-hmm. usually what happens is then they'll invite people from New York to give workshops, to do stuff. They'll host mm-hmm. their first ball or something and, you know, teach all these people how to vote. So Georgina was one of these people. She had started a house, the first German house, the House of Melody, hmm. which is now apparently folded. And there's like some tea behind that. She's a Saint Laurent now. But um, yeah, so Georgina, she gave this class. Um, I remember I had seen clips of voguing, like all the Vogue femme stuff, the, mm-hmm. you know, dips and spins. And I was like very, I was going to say begeistert, which in German is like bewildered by that. But yeah, so I was really into it. And um, I thought, oh, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And when I took the class, it was really funny because <laughs> she gave kind of like an overview of multiple aspects of ballroom within this like hour and a half. It was really incredible. Mm-hmm. We did like a little bit of runway, a little bit of um, voguing, old way, new way. Like she gave a little bit of everything. And I remember she told me, she's like, you know, you're really good at the masculine stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> the whole thing was I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, I want to learn how to do this, like, you know, the really feminine stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think I was like, well, I failed. I failed at the feminine stuff as a little butch lesbian. Like, let me finally redeem myself and learn mm-hmm. hyper femininity. And yet again, I was told <laughs> you're too masculine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, OK. And then I remember she did this Berlin Voguing Out, which was a ball, uh, a big ball. I think I don't know if it was the first ball. It might have been the second one um, in Berlin in 2012. And there were these workshops, and there's this one guy, Oss, who used to be an Omni um, and a ninja. Now he's in Milan. But he was living in Sweden at the time, and he did this workshop uh, teaching Old Way performance, which is a style of voguing that I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the original way of voguing, geometrical poses, shapes, styles. So the stuff you see in Paris is Burning is all this style of voguing. And I remember I really liked it, and I was really good or I felt good at it like I felt good in my body doing it so um I kind of started to go down that rabbit hole in a way Mm -hmm. and um I think in Berlin I'm trying to remember I think I was like maybe at the end of my contract at Ecologic um I didn't really know what to do next and I thought well let me just go back to the Bay Area um because my mom lived there. I felt I had contacts there. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe, you know, I could start just, you know, just start my life or whatever. 
And um, so I moved back to the Bay for a short period. And I think that was 2012, I want to say. Or no, maybe 2013. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. One of those years. And um, yeah, and so, you know, I took all these meetings with these big utilities people. I thought, oh, maybe I can, like, get a gig at, like, PG&E or something. And it was also very difficult because, like, seeing my mom, oh, my God, she was in not in a very good state. She was, like, unemployed at that point. I got the full history of everything that had happened mm-hmm. um, while I was away. Um, like, when she had moved to the Bay Area, she didn't tell me... The full reason why she moved, which was, sadly, like, in her divorce settlement with my dad, she got the house and the car, and I think, I don't know if it was full custody of my younger sister, because I have a younger sister who's eight years younger than me, and, but what was difficult is when she was still in Chicago, and I was, I think, probably, like, sophomore year of school, um, she uh, was trying to sell the house, but couldn't sell it. It was in Chicago. Two thousand nine was like you know it was the height of the financial mm. crisis, worst time uh, for buyers, and so she defaulted on the mortgage, and uh, the bank foreclosed on our family house. Yeah, which she you know we lived in. You know she owned for twenty five years and. And she was, like, so devastated and was really just trying to get out of Chicago. And so this job had opened up because she was working at Chase. They had a big buyout on the West Coast, and she Mm -hmm. moved to the West Coast and um, was trying to start over again. But it was really difficult. She had an awful boss, like a boss from hell. Mm -hmm. And um, so she ended up quitting her job. She just couldn't take it. And was unemployed for a really long time Mm. and um you know was i found out she was suicidal and you know just basically went through this like incredibly difficult time Mm. and my younger sister as well and mind you all of this is happening while i'm like away and as per usual with parents they don't tell you you know Mm. they you check in but they're not like always telling you exactly what's happening so like Mm. when i came back I had found out all this information and I was also just like devastated and um, and my mom I think she was like taking volunteer jobs at the time and and my younger sister was struggling in school like she was also suicidal for a short period of time and had taken like some time off I think from school and so like just trying to get back into things and it was hard because like she was the only one living with my mom my older sister I think was like in school at in uh, Chicago or Michigan at the time and um, so yeah when I came back to the Bay and I had you know this incredible experience it was just like oh my god like coming back to Mm -hmm. all of this and just feeling like wow I'm really like at rock bottom and I had saved up money but that was going really quickly Mm -hmm. and um, you know I was taking meetings with people but it's not like you know, you flip a switch overnight and you can get a job. It you know, it takes mm-hmm. a while. So I was feeling really frustrated and I was feeling like I gotta get back to Europe. Like I have all these friends and professional contacts. I was living mm-hmm. well, like why did I give all that up? Um 
and also at that time in the Bay. So it's like I was like applying for jobs. And then I also was thinking like maybe it's time for me to do a master's because there were so many people. I feel like in Europe, like everybody has a master's. <laughs> so I was like, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I was still interested in working in policy. And um I found this program that I ended up applying to, which was the Urban Policy Dual Masters. And, um, at UPenn? Uh, no, so this was in Europe. So oh, wow. this was the one between the LSE and mm-hmm. uh, Sciences Po in Paris. And so I ended up getting into that program, and that's kind of what moved me back to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I had reached out to my old job at Ecologic. Hey, like, could I just work here before heading over to Paris and they agreed. Um, But the other thing is when I was in San Francisco for that short period of time, um, I ended up taking a Vogan class. There was this class in the mission Mm -hmm. um, and it was taught by this guy, Jacques or Quis Whitfield and Father Sol Nubian. And um, it was cool because it was like another way for me to like get more practice in. And Mm -hmm. that was like once a week and there was like a mini ball at the end and, Mm -hmm. It was like the one thing keeping me going amidst all this like incredibly yeah. depressing news um, was being able to do that. And uh, yeah, and then when I was back in Berlin for this like couple of months before the school year started in Paris, um, I got even more into ballroom and um, I walked a ball in Dusseldorf and snatched grand prize for this like audience runway category. I know it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I had my little white fur coat. I remember my mom, we went thrifting uh, in her neighborhood in Walnut Creek and we found this like white fur coat. And I felt so guilty because I think it might, it might have been like real rabbit fur. But oh, and I we called her Diana. That was that was the name. I still have her, and because <laughs> it it just looked very Diana Ross. Uh-huh. And I remember I wore it in Dusseldorf, and I turned it, and everyone gagged. Um, but what was cool was at the time I met this woman, Lysandra Ninja, who is the mother of the ballroom scene in in Paris. Because Lysandra, I guess she made a surprise guest experience and woke the shook the floors, honey. She made everybody gag. It was great. Because, you know, Dusseldorf, obviously, it's like these Germans, they, they, it's, what's so ironic is, especially the Afro-Germans and stuff, they're all very like, oh, you know, ich freue mich nicht genug Deutsch. It's like, I don't feel like, you know, German enough, but they're very German, you know, they can be mm-hmm. very dry, very awkward, mm-hmm. <laughs> all those things. And when Lysandra came, honey, they gagged, because she, you know, she, she she does the whole dramatics and you know all that stuff and mm. it was great everyone mm. lived it was it was over um is she a trans woman no i mean uh, lysandra is very butch queen up in drags i think uh-huh. that's how she sees herself because she definitely has there's xavier who which is her like birth name mm-hmm. um and she definitely goes out of drag um and then she has lysandra which mm-hmm. is this character she created and there's actually this new doc that's out which is amazing um that really focuses on her and her relationship she's originally from uh french guiana mm-hmm. so she teaches kids how to vogue there but yeah she's great so i met lysandra and she was like oh baby you know when you're when you're in paris uh, tell me when you're there and have you meet the girls and so i was like okay you know i was like sure 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 so when i moved to paris right <laughs> like 
um, I was starting the first year of this program at Sciences Po, and again, mm. I thought, you know, <laughs> fool me once, <laughs> shame <laughs> on you. This definitely was <laughs> another situation, but I was just like, God damn it, I'm back here. But what was great, so <laughs> first, the first semester was super intense, okay? It was mm-hmm. very, um, you know, it's all very French- uh, urban planning policy. Like I, I basically got into the urban planning stuff because I, when I was at Ecologic, I was working on this urban sustainability project. I thought, oh, you know, this is interesting. Let me get into this urban thing more. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, that's kind of what led me to that per that particular degree program. You know, I was thinking, oh, like, this is great, like, gives me the best of both worlds if I want to work in France or sort of, like, continental Europe or UK or elsewhere. It's great. Um, so, yeah, I was, like, in this class, and it was, like, literally, like, 99.99% white people. Mm. Very, like, you know, I was, like, one of maybe, like, two or three international students. It was just, you know, I was older. It was very mm. different. And so it was just, like, incredibly, excruciatingly painful to be there in some ways. Mm-hmm. Just, like, dealing with, like, ignorant, racist comments, just things people would say or do. Mm-hmm. And I think by that point, my politics had evolved in Berlin. You know, I'm, I was in all these queer mm-hmm. uh, circles, trans circles. There's, in Germany, um, they call it, like, FLT or FLT, which is Frauen, Lesben, Trans, which is, like, women, lesbian, trans. And mm-hmm. that's, like, you know, basically a whole little scene that kind of takes over Kreuzberg and Neukölln. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, you're. I was around people who are definitely thinking about the world in a different way mm-hmm. than freaking like you know white french kids Mm -hmm. who have an incredibly narrow view of the world Mm. um so it's frustrating and the reprieve i had though was i was really into boxing again Mm -hmm. i was that was like always my mainstay of like how i stay grounded Mm -hmm. moving to a new place is like i used to box at this place called boxing beat boxing beats you know it's very very french you know (laughs) Because they love to put uh, English words and <laughs> just French Frenchify them. So it was this place in Aubervilliers, which is like just north of the periphery of Paris, and mm-hmm. it's a very like black Arab French neighborhood. Uh, it was really cool because I remember our coaches. It was like the first time I'd ever seen men of color in positions of power in mm-hmm. France. Really, mm-hmm. it was the guys who had founded this great club and. They had a couple of women who fought on the national team and who were like, you know, world champions for boxing, which was cool. And it's always obviously a good sign when you see like, okay, do they care about their women boxers? Mm -hmm. It's a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And still by this point, you know, I was out as a lesbian, queer, but I I did not identify as trans. Mm -hmm. I was just, you know, very androgynous. I I used to get misgendered all the time in in Paris because I feel like the gender lines are very strict there. Mm -hmm. It's you know, so you don't wear lipstick. We were like, well, kiss, 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 What's going on? You know? Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I was like super into boxing and that was like my way of kind of counterbalancing this like very white, bougie, mm-hmm. left bank bullshit Sciences Po world. And then 
Boxing Beats was like, okay, cool, I could be around people of color. And, you know, they have their own little French vibe, but it's still, it's like, I get it. You know, they get me, mm-hmm. I get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and it was only until, like, second semester where I finally reached out to Lysandra. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part I was, like, a little nervous because I had met her through my ex, and I was all like, oh, I don't want to, like, reach out. And then finally I did, and, and it was amazing. And this, like, mm-hmm. completely changed my life and my world because I was like still kind of struggling in Paris in some ways um, although it was a lot easier because I had already lived there and you know had found my rhythm but it was amazing then I was open to the ballroom scene and mm. Lysandra like introduced me to people and I remember oh my god this incredible moment of going to Kitty Smile who's like a big DJ producer in Paris now um he was still you know, kind of on the rise at that point, but um, he threw this birthday party at this incredible venue. Oh, my God. I'm trying to remember the name. I think the name of the... I want to say the name of the place is Maxime's, hmm. which is this, like, one of those, like, Art Nouveau gorgeous hmm. restaurants, right? In the second arrondissement, so, like, you know, in the middle of the town. And he threw this private birthday party for the ballroom scene, and he, like, DJed, and people were voguing the fuck down, and there's, Mm. like, chandeliers and Uh. bottle service, and it was insane. I'd never seen... And I'm... You know, and the ballroom scene in Paris is very black, um, brown, you know, queer, all the things. And I remember just gagging, like, wow, like, I have hit the jackpot. I'm Mm. living the life, Mm. okay? In Paris with all these black and brown queer people and just, wow, you know, I'm in another universe Mm -hmm. and, oh my God, like, what is my life? And I remember at the time I was trying to find somebody who did the style of Vogue that I do, which Mm -hmm. is old way performance, because it's a little rare. It's not very popular. People are like, you know, so into Vogue femme as far as the style and especially dramatics and that sort of thing. Um... So I had met this woman, Sandrine, who's really sweet, and she she originally comes from the world of whacking, which she was part of the ballroom scene. She was in the... She was a... Was she a Mugler at the time? I can't remember. I think she might have been a Mugler. But um, she... We were talking, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to find, is there somebody who can teach old way performance? Mm-hmm. And she told me, she's like, you know, Sydney, uh, if you really want to know how to vogue the old way the only person doing this is Caroline Autre Omni and I was like oh shit okay who is this person Mm. and then you know I looked her up and it was this white girl I was like what Mm. (laughs) like okay (laughs) I guess so I reached out it was this person Caroline uh, (laughs) who she comes from like the house dancing scene Mm -hmm. and um but she, yeah, she, you know, she evokes old way performance. And part of why she does is she's in the house of Ultra Omni, which is one of the older houses uh, that comes from New York. It was originally the house of Omni. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see it in Paris, Paris is Burning in the list of names. Um, but uh, this guy, Mohammed, Mohammed Ultra Omni, like he came to Paris at some point, And I think he like also went to Russia at some point, too. But and Caroline, I think, is one of those dancers who saved up her coins, went to New York, mm. somehow got into ballroom, 
and then I don't know her full story of how she became an Omni, but then at some point became an Omni and then started a chapter in Paris. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, like I reached out to her and I remember she was like, if I train you, <laughs> you're going to have to be in my house because I'm not going to train you and then you're going to go somewhere else. <laughs> so I was like, OK, like I just really want to be a part of ballroom. I didn't, you know, I didn't really care. And so, you know, she she worked with me and I it was really cool because they uh, the house dancers in Paris, they train at the BNF, which is the Bibliothèque Nationale Française, which is like the national French. But it's a gorgeous area. It's mm-hmm. like completely renovated near the Seine. And uh, I remember they used to train there on Wednesdays. And so I'd go and, you know, they're pumping the house music and she would teach me how to Vogue. Um, and then we'd go to like, there was this kind of weekly Vogue nights type of thing in Paris called Crème de la 